Do you want to be happier? Then this is the episode for you. Welcome to the AARP Washington State Podcast. I'm Bruce Carlson with the AARP Washington State Office in Seattle. This is the AARP Washington State Podcast, and our guest today is best-selling author and media personality Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen is best known for The Happiness Project, her journey into the study of how to be happier. Her book, The Happiness Project, is an account of the years she spent test-driving the wisdom of the ages, the current scientific research, and tips from popular culture on how to be happier. She's also the author of Happier at Home, about making small, manageable changes in your life to be happier at home. And Better Than Before is a book about habit formation. She identifies and investigates the 21 strategies we can use to foster healthy habits. We talk a lot about this one in the podcast and how we can change our habits as we age to be happier than ever before. Gretchen has an enormous readership, both in print and online, and her books have sold almost 3 million copies worldwide in more than 30 languages. She hosts a top-rated podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, and she's a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100. Here's my interview with happiness expert Gretchen Rubin. Most of us want to be happier, but you're actually doing something about it, and I'm wondering how you became interested in, in being happier and, and researching this, this topic and, and, and writing about it. Well, it was a very inconspicuous moment of my life. I was uh, in a city bus uh, in the pouring rain, and I had one of those rare opportunities for reflection that you don't often get kind of in the chaos of everyday life. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, what do I want from life anyway? I thought, well, I want to be happy. But I realized I didn't spend any time thinking about whether I was happy or how I could be happier. And I thought, I should have a happiness project. And and that was the phrase that came into my mind. And I ran out the next day to the library and got a big stack of books about happiness. And initially it was just for me. I just was curious about it for myself, for my own life. But as I got more and more into the research and the reading, I realized like this is just this vast, um, really limitless trove of material, and I wanted to think about so many things and try so many things. And so after a while, I started thinking, wow, maybe I should write a book about this. Uh-huh. Um, so it really started from a desire, uh, and, and I was pretty happy when I started. I wasn't coming from a place of deep unhappiness, but I just had the sense that I could be happier. And I wanted to know, well, what would you do if you wanted to make yourself happier? And then if you did it, would it work? So um, I wanted to figure out what to try and then try it out on myself. So it's kind of like a scientific method of researching and trying things and seeing what's really effective? Yeah, yeah, my human guinea pig, absolutely. <laughs> kind of, kind of trying it out in in your own life, and yes, exactly, and seeing what works. And you've you've got a list of the eight splendid truths. Could yes. you tell us about that, and you know what they are, and 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 how you arrived at them? Um, well, I was. If you read about happiness, you you end up reading about Buddhism, and if you read about Buddhism, you end up reading a lot of numbered lists because mm-hmm. it, I was sort of surprised that Buddhism is so dominated by enumeration, um, which I guess I've heard since is um, to help uh, people remember, because, uh, you know, if things aren't written down, then how do people remember? So if you number things, that helps people remember um, the Eightfold Path or whatever. Um, so I wanted to have my own list, and uh, and I love distilling things into their essence. So I was really trying to come up with 
if you're really going to push yourself to come up with these fundamental truths about happiness, um, what would they crystallize as? And so I came up with eight. And uh, well, there were four in the Happiness Project, and then in the Happier at Home, I went much deeper into happiness, like really in the area of home. And then I came up with four more. And since then, I haven't come up with any more. So I, I really <laughs> think these four cover just about everything, between these eight. Okay, eight, eight. And, and kind of the things that you've written about so far have been the Happiness Project and then Happier at Home. And then you have your new book about the power of habits. Yeah. Um, could you tell us about the, that book and why habits are, are important? Well, it's interesting because I, I, when I was reading and thinking and talking to people about happiness for years, I began to notice a pattern, which, the, which was that when people talked about like a big happiness boost that they had achieved or more often a big happiness challenge that they faced, they usually were pointing to something that at its core was a problem with the habit. So someone would say, well, my problem is that I'm exhausted all the time. And I would think, well, why don't you just have the habit of getting more sleep? Or somebody would say, well, my problem is that I really want to um, get back into speaking Italian. And that's about the habit of consistent study. So, um, and so I became increasingly intrigued with the role that habits play in helping us make our lives happier, healthier, and more productive. Um, because it seemed to me that a lot of the things that people thought would make them happier, it's not, it's not that they didn't have an idea of what they thought they should do. They did have an idea of what they thought they should do. But what they were not having um, success with was in execution. They were, not, they were having trouble, at, well, maybe habits can help. And that's indeed what I found, is that habits really can help us uh, stick with these behaviors that in the end will make us happier. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, know, I know it's hard. I mean, I go through that of, you know, the habit of getting more sleep or the habit of e eating a healthy breakfast yep. or not skipping lunch or, yep. you know, giving myself a little more time. Is, 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 there, any, is there any one habit you think is the, the, the first one that, that people should tackle or the one that you hear about the most? The one, ha the, the one thing that I think is the most important step for habits and that I think is the thing that is most often skipped um, is that you really have to ask yourself, is this the right habit ha for me? How should I construct this habit that will work for me? Because I think a lot of times people are like, well, the secret to habits is to do it first thing in the morning. Or mm -hmm. the secret to habits is give yourself a cheat day. Or the secret to habits is to start small. Or the secret to habits is to do it for 30 days. And it's not like those are bad ideas necessarily. It's just that they only work sometimes for some people. They do not work all the time for everyone. And when I see people struggling with a habit, very often it's because they have not taken themselves into account. They have not set up the habit um, that it will allow them to succeed. So I think if you had to say, like, well, what's the, what, what's the one habit that's going to work? I would say it's not that there's one habit that works, but there's one, there's one approach that works, and the approach is to say, how do I structure this aim in a way that makes sense for me? So, for instance, morning people and night people. Are you a morning person no, or a night person? No, no, I am, I, I am absolutely a, a, a night person. I find okay. when I'm on vacation or something, I, I go to a very late schedule. Yeah, and so, um, and so you know, night people are, it's a real thing. It's largely genetic, genetically determined. It's also influenced by age. Um, they're just much more productive and creative and efficient later in the day. The first thing in the day is not when they're at their best. 
Now, I'm a morning person, and so mm-hmm. if you said, okay, get up early and go for a run, that's what makes sense. Like, you see that over and over again. Here are all the reasons why it makes sense. Okay, I get it. It makes sense. It would work for me because I'm a morning person. But for night people, they're not setting themselves up for success because mm-hmm. that's just not a good time of day for them to be doing something like going for a run. Um, and I think they're much better served by instead of saying, there's something wrong with me. I'm lazy. I lack willpower. Why can't, can't I do it? They should say, morning isn't a good time for me. That's not going to work for me. How can I exercise later in the day? Um, because a lot of times I've talked to people who haven't spent any time at all thinking about how they could exercise at another time. They, their view is, the morning is when I should do it. I either do it then or I don't do it at all. Instead of saying, the morning isn't a good time for me. Therefore, I will figure out how I can exercise at lunchtime or after work or once a week I'm going to leave work earlier. I'm going to only work out on the weekends. Or There's a million solutions. But you have to accept this, the fact that, yeah, it would be efficient to do it first thing in the morning before you get to work. But if you're a night person, it's very unlikely you're going to stick to that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I think that's true of our, of our ARP members. I mean, on the one hand, we're old enough to kind of know who who we are, but uh, but on the other hand, we have habits that are you know ingrained over a long period of time. Um, do you think it's possible for 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 those of us who are over fifty uh, to really change habits like that? Absolutely, and I have got I have heard from so many people. I'm eighty one. I'm seventy five. Like, and people are just saying like. Now I understand. Like, now I get it, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I've managed to, ta- you know, deal with a habit that has confounded me my whole life. Um, because the fact is, you just have to set it up in the way that's right for you. And in so much of better than before is trying to illuminate different aspects of our nature so that people can say, oh, okay, I identify as this, I'm that, this is what works for me. Um, for instance, Abstain or moderator. I've heard from a lot of older people about this. Same as younger people. When it comes to facing a strong temptation, some people are abstainers, and that means they're kind of all or nothing. Mm-hmm. They can have none, but and they can have a lot, but they can't do something a little bit. And for them, it's much easier to have none than to manage moderation. And then moderators are just the opposite. They do better. They get kind of panicky if they're told they can never have something. Mm-hmm. And so they they should have a little bit. They should have it sometimes. So it's not that one way is right and one way is wrong, but it's just like if you know that if you have one cookie, you're going to have eight cookies, but you can have no cookies, just have no cookies, and that will work for you. Or if you know you can't play Candy Crush for 10 minutes, if you play, you're going to play for two hours, don't have Candy Crush on your phone. And um, But a lot of times people are told that they're doing it wrong, that they have to learn to be moderate, or it's not healthy to be rigid, or you should just give something up cold turkey. Well. It's just that some people approach it one way and some people approach it the other. And no matter what your age, if you do it the way that works for you, you're going to have you're going to have a much easier time. And a lot of times, people just they never thought, oh, well, maybe I should just have a different approach. Mm-hmm. Or also, you know, I talk about the four tendencies in the book. Well, for obligers particularly, understanding that the crucial missing piece for them for meeting an inner expectation, which usually a habit is an inner expectation is accountability. What they need is outer accountability, and then they have no trouble fulfilling that, that aim. Well, for them, this is a huge revelation. You know, and there are people who have, like, my whole life I've never understood the pattern of why I could do some things effortlessly and, and execute without ever letting anyone down, 
mm-hmm. but then I consistently let myself down. Well, now I see what I need to do, and now I understand like why at this time of my life I exercised fine, or at this time of my life I ate really healthfully, and, and then at other times I didn't. Now I understand how to make sense of that pattern. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like once you understand the kind of person you are, then you can set things up in a way that's going to allow you to succeed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, one of our themes here, here at ARP, is, is, is the idea of, of life reimagined. Yeah. And, and the idea of, you know, you can, you can look at your life and make changes. And, you know, kind of yeah. like we're talking about making changes in, in habits, but, you know, maybe also an outlook. And one of the things about, about the different age groups that are in our membership are, you know, people in their 50s are facing like an empty nest or people in their 60s are, you know, facing uh, retirement and not having their day filled with, with, yeah. with work. Um, what advice can you offer to become happier during these life changes? I think people feel it's a sense of loss, but it's also an, an opportunity. Well, and in, in certainly just in habits, um, any kind of major transition is an excellent time to tackle your habits. That's the strategy of the clean slate. When we go through a transition, all the old habits are wiped away and the new habits can come in. But you really want to start the way you're going to continue. And so let's say you're going to retire. You really want to have a plan. What am I going to do for that first week? Like, what's, going, what's my time going to, be, going to look like? Because what you do when you start out is going to kind of set the pace for what you do. So if your idea when you... You know, if you're like, well, once I retire, I'm going to get up early every morning and go for a walk around the neighborhood with my dog. Okay, you want to do that at that first week because if you don't mm-hmm. do it that first week, it's going to feel like a little bit of an imposition. Okay. Um, so that so whenever there's a new transition, or you know, a child graduates, or you move, or any you know anything like that. Um, but also, I think just in happiness generally, facing all these transitions, I think the key thing is just to say to yourself, what would make me happier. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we're so caught up in the just kind of the minutia of every day, you know, going through getting from morning to evening that we don't step back and say, like, well, you know, and this is my first splendid truth. You think about what feeling good, feeling bad, feeling right in an atmosphere of growth. So feeling good, it's like, well, what are the things in my life that bring me happiness, pleasure, enthusiasm? What do I look forward to? How can I have more of that? So if I really like having lunch with my friends once a month, Maybe I want to do uh, see a different group of friends, a different, you know, so I'm do, say, doing that twice instead of once. Or maybe I want to start a, a book group or whatever. Then it's feeling bad. What makes me feel bad? Well, when do I feel angry or bored or resentful or guilty? And mm-hmm. what can I do to minimize that? Are there boring parts of my day where I can, you know, get out of it? Are there unpleasant chores I could delegate um, or outsource, things like that? Then feeling right is really about... Does our life reflect our values? Because sometimes we do things that do not make us happy, but they they reflect our values. And so in that way, they give us kind of a deeper happiness. And so you might say to yourself, well, how am I, how am I putting my values out into the world? Do I want to volunteer? Do I want to give money? Do I want to help someone? Do I want to learn something myself? Um, and then an atmosphere of growth is just, is is maybe the one that's, it's very powerful. It took me a long time to understand the importance of the atmosphere of growth. And that is that, and I think this is particularly important for the kind of stages that you're talking about, where they can feel like loss right. or they can feel like uh, diminishment. If the atmosphere of growth is like we're happier when we feel like we're growing, when we're learning something, when we're challenging ourselves, when we're helping someone else, when we're teaching, when we're, you know, 
uh, fixing something that's not working. And so, you know, this is why gardening is fun. This is why watching a puppy grow up is fun. Um, you're seeing something grow and you're contributing to it. And so any place, any time, especially when people are feeling low, I think looking for a way to cultivate an atmosphere of growth is really powerful because it tends to be an engine. Like when you are growing, you tend to connect with other people. You tend to be having novelty and challenge, which are themselves a source of happiness. Um, you tend to be out in the world in some way. Um, even if it's something as minor as like, okay, I'm going to start a new, I'm going to get back into needlepoint mm -hmm. and needlepoint a pillow for somebody's birthday. Uh -huh. You know, still you're going into a store, you're picking out a pattern, you're buying all these new materials, you're remembering how to do a skill that you've kind of forgotten, you have a sense of accomplishment. This is a small thing, but it's a real source of satisfaction. Um, and then sometimes an atmosphere of growth could be huge. You could say, okay, I'm going to go on the finance committee of my church and figure out, like, what's going on with our finances. We're in total disarray. I'm going to get everything organized and, you know, make, this, make the trains run on time. That would be very satisfying, too. And, um, and so an atmosphere of growth can be really powerful. So I think when you're facing those kinds of transitions, you want to get, kind of get in front of it and think, how can I think about my happiness because um, I think the big risk for most people is not that they overthink it, which some people worry about, but that we just never think about it at all. Mm. And we miss the opportunity for kind of low-hanging fruit mm -hmm. of ideas for things that we could do that would boost our happiness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of our things is the idea of disrupt aging and, you know, the idea that, that, that opportunities are closing or, you know, that your life, you, you know, that, 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 that you're not – um, contributing in the way that maybe you did when when, when you were younger, but th right. that's that's really not not what you found, is it? No, no. I think, uh, but I think again, like sometimes, sometimes you've had one answer for for many 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 years, and now you have to come up with a new answer, mm -hmm. and and that can be challenging, and it can be, um, you know, the question of like, what do I want to do with myself? can be terrifying um, at any age, you know, whether you're graduating from college or you're, you know, you're going into your second career or whatever it is. Um, so I think it, 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 but it's something that's really important to think about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think, you know, we always are trying to understand ourselves better. It's a very hard, to, to know yourself is the great challenge of our lives. And I think it's, it's something that we never come to the bottom of. Mm -hmm. And it's when you're facing these big transitions, it's, Again, you're thinking like, well, who am I? What do what do I want? Where you know, where do I want to go from here? Um, and it can be unsettling to be examining these things, especially for a long time you haven't done it. It's hard to let go of the old, but it's also kind of in, in incredibly freeing, and yep. you, you sort of have to let go of things that don't serve you and and look towards towards things that will. Um, no, I think I think one of the things that has that surprises me over and over, but is obviously something that I feel, you feel, many people feel, is that there is this connection between outer order and inner calm. Mm -hmm. And there's something about getting rid of stuff that we don't use, that we don't need, that doesn't really work for us, that is very freeing and energizing. You know, somebody, people often use the metaphor of weight. They're like, I cleaned out my closets and I feel like I lost 10 pounds. Or <laughs> I cleaned out the kitchen and I feel like my apartment is going to levitate into the air. There is a feeling of lightness that comes from it. 
Um, but you're right, it can be very difficult and exhausting. One thing I write about all the time is, like, what are the little tips and tricks you can use, whether you're trying to do a little bit of, like, a little bit here and there, whether you're trying to do a big clear out, um, what are the strategies to use? Because I think people really do feel better when they've gone through it, Mm -hmm. um, but it can be challenging. And sort of the more you have, the more challenging it feels. Yeah, no, I know exactly. I'm amazed at how much stuff I have that... I haven't looked at in yes. you know in years sometimes. Yes. You know, and relates to an old life and things yes. I was doing, you know, yes. five, ten years ago. So um one of the things I wanted to ask about is you've talked about the idea of doing things that scare you as as a path to happiness. You've written about that recently on your on your website. What do you mean by that? And you know, can you really be scared and happy at the same time? Yeah, I think you know, the one of the things that another thing that surprised me when I was studying happiness is the idea that novelty and challenge make people happier. Even like the most basic kind of novelty, like people who go to new restaurants, that makes them happier than people who then go to the same old restaurants. Mm. And um, there, there's just something about novel and ta- novelty and challenge, and I think it's tied to the atmosphere of growth. You know, when you're doing something new, you're expanding yourself and your 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 knowledge and your sense of things, and so. Um, the problem with doing something novel and challenging is often it makes you feel stupid or incompetent or angry or um, insecure or anxious because you're doing something that you don't really know exactly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but often that gives you a great sense of satisfaction. Um, I mean, even something like using a technology, you know, like, oh, I've never used FaceTime. Mm-hmm. You know, then the first time you use it, you're like, look at me, I'm using FaceTime or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it's just a little new thing. Um, and then some things, of course, would be much more challenging and, and, and take, take place over weeks or months. Um, but uh, but it, is, it, it can be a very, very deep source of satisfaction. Is there any one thing you would offer as uh, advice to somebody in the second half of life of what you, you think would be a key to being happier? I mean, again, I think it's like knowing the truth about yourself. And I think this is one of the reasons that older people are often happier, is they, they've kind of come to a lot, a lot of times, they've come to grips with themselves more and they've let go of the fantasy of themselves. You know, like the fantasy that you're, that you love music. That was the fantasy that I had to get, get mm-hmm, rid of, which was mm-hmm. like, I just don't really like music. <laughs> and, or that you, and, and you just accepted finally that you didn't really like music and yeah, didn't yeah. want to spend like, well, your time. Of course, my answer was if I read more about music, I would like it more. It's always to me through reading that I would come to look. And I'm like, yeah, give it up. You know, now I have more time <laughs> to read because I'm not worried about listening to music. Or, you know, I'm not a huge fan of travel. Or, yeah. you know, but you have fantasy. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to. There's just so many fantasies that we can have. Um, and then you let go of it. Um, and and then when you let go of the fantasies, then you have more time for what is really true about you. Yeah. Well, that's you know that's one of the things I've heard is that you know if you if older people know themselves yep. better and maybe maybe can concentrate on what 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 actually does make them happy. Right. Right. Yeah. I think I think that's crucial. Yeah. Well. 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 That's a good that's a good happiness project for all of us. I think. Yes. <laughs> um, and you you have all kinds of information, and you're always coming up with, with, with new stuff and, and new angles. Um, how can people who want to know more about your work and, and follow you 
Um, how, how, how can they, they find out more about you? I have a website, GretchenRubin.com, where I write just about every day about my adventures and happiness and good habits and human nature. Um, and I have a lot of resources there about habits and happiness um, for people who want to work on that. Um, I have a podcast with my sister. Um, mm -hmm. We just passed 6 million downloads today. Oh, really? Out. That's very oh, exciting. Well, that's, that's, um, that's fantastic. And that's, that's called Happier with Gretchen Rubin. And it's anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find it. Okay, and, so like, um, um, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook under just Gretchen Rubin, my plain old name. And I love to connect with listeners and readers. Um, and here I've learned so much from people's insights and observations and questions. So I love it um, when I hear from people uh, about what they think and what they're wondering about. Great. Well, thank you very much. And I, I certainly would recommend that, that people um, do that because, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by what you're doing. And I, I really appreciate your, your time this afternoon and talking to us. Excellent. And well, thank is, you very much for having me. Is there any last words you would, you would have for us? Uh, no. Just, you know, think about, thinking about happiness is, I think, gets you started um, down the right path. Well, there you have it. How to be happier with Gretchen Rubin. Definitely some tips to put into practice for a happier life, no matter what your age. I'm Bruce Carlson. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next time.